Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for another week of talking all things sail sharks. My name is Lewis and I'm joined this week by my co-host Alex. Uh, Alex, we're, we're coming to the listeners um, with a first for the 22-23 season. Uh, we're coming to them off the back of a, a sale loss. You were there, obviously, on uh, on uh, on uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, how, are, how are things on your side? Uh, very frustrated, but listen, the, it had to end at some point, didn't it? Um, you know, it, it was never going to carry on forever. We weren't going to go all season unbeaten. Mm. Um, it's probably not the worst thing to have a bit of a reality check. But it was a really, really frustrating afternoon, um, and it ruined the rest of my Sunday. I'll be honest, but it always does, doesn't it? When sail lose, so I've had uh, five good weekends in a row because sail have won. So you know, it's probably about time. That's about where I am. But yeah, a very, very frustrating loss. Um, but hopefully there's some positives coming out of it in terms of the wider season. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, well, we're obviously going to go into the nitty-gritty on, on that defeat to Quinns uh, in, in, in a moment, but I, I I kind of echo what you were saying in that the unbeaten start to the season had to finish at some point. You know, we were playing with house money, I think it's fair to say, given that, you know, we'd knocked off Exeter, we'd knocked off Leicester, uh, you know, we definitely had a couple of wins in there that we probably weren't anticipating, you know, seven or eight weeks ago. Um, with that all being said, you, you know, it's never it's never nice to lose, especially when you get into the routine of um, uh, of winning, you know, and, and as fans getting used to winning. And I think that there's, first of all, a bit of deflation on my side for for that reason. You know, it's never nice to, to lose, especially once you're on a, a good track. Um, but I think as well, the fact that we lost at home and to a Quinns team that is eminently unlikable, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, is is kind of the, the two nails in the coffin. So maybe let's let's start there then, because obviously it, it was uh, it was an interesting outing for sale on on uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, getting beaten twenty nine points to thirteen, so no points out of out of the game for sale, and and ultimately quite a quite a large margin of defeat to, to Quinn. So, I mean, Alex, first of all, I mean, you were there, so I, I can ask you outright. Is is that scoreline reflective of the two teams' performances on the day? Yeah, I think it is, genuinely. I mean, you are very right. It is so hard losing to a Quinn's team who are that dislikable. I mean, just across the field. Um you know, just all, all of them. I just hate them. Danny Kerr is a dick on a rugby field I know he's a nice lad off it but when he's on a rugby field I dislike him massively even Marcus Smith who I was having to defend to my dad sat next to me because I was like no I do like Marcus Smith but even him just they just come across as a horrible team their fans are awful bunch of people I mean that's really harsh so if you're listening to Quinn's <laughs> fans I'm kidding um, but it's just so they're just the antithesis of us, aren't they? We're a northern team. We're underdogs. We, you know, we 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 think that we like to think that everyone hates us. And Quins are a southern team. They're in bed with the RFU. They're, you know, they're the the ideal team for the typical bloke who goes to Twickenham. Well, and and just on that as well, because you're going to get to the point. But I, I watched the match replay this morning and. 
the the commentators, uh, the official commentators for, for Premiership Rugby made a really interesting point, which I think encapsulates this completely, which is when the game kicked off, the, the, they called it a matchup between the enforcers, i.e. Sale, and the entertainers in terms of Harlequins. And I think that's a really representative of how the... The, the club as uh, of Quinns is sort of thought about in the media and is given this kind of, um, you know, sort of halo around it when, when actually Saracens, Leicester and Sale probably score just as many entertaining tries as Harlequins do. Yeah, 100%. And it is, you know, Marcus Smith is the man of the match before the ball is kicked. You know, that's <laughs> the, the way the game works. Um, but anyway, so... I think ultimately the scoreline was reflective of a very, very poor Sale performance you know, taken away, and let's have a separate conversation about the referee. But taken away that, Sale were, were bad. Our lineup was really poor. Our scrum was pretty poor. We got battered at the breakdown. And that just meant that all the good things we've been doing, we weren't able to do again because, you know, people. I thought Rob Dupria had a poor game compared to how he's been playing this season. But let's face it, he wasn't getting good service from the base and he was getting panicked service. And I think. All of that came from Quinn's dominated us up front, which is a real shame because that's where our strength should be. Um, and because of that, that put they put a lot of pressure and panic onto us and sort of tried to force us to play like them. And we are not, you know, we've played entertaining rugby this year, no doubt about it, but we've played entertaining structured rugby. We've, you know, we're not, it doesn't go loose. The ball doesn't bobble. We're not, you know, got people who can jink out of a, really tight space we've got people who are very fast very powerful run good lines and creates we create space through that Paul Deacon attack that manipulates the defense and then we score tries from it what you saw on Sunday I think was us trying to sort of throw the Harlem Globetrotters worldly pass out to the wing or you know cut inside and find the gap and and that was forced by Quinn's making it a real hectic game by testing us at the breakdown you know Every breakdown they were competing, they were putting massive numbers in, and we just didn't deal with it. We didn't put numbers back into the breakdown to combat it. We didn't play the territory well. We tried to play too much, I think, from our own half, which we've been really good at um, not doing. And we, we got better at it, but we didn't, never quite got there. And then ultimately, there were, that game was full of sale errors. Line out, as I said, was, was really, really poor, but... You know, drop balls. We had a couple of chances. There's one chance where, um, you know, we end up somehow getting through and, and Johnny Hill's got the ball at his feet with two people outside him and no one in front of him and he manages to fall over and fall on the ball. Um, I think it was described by someone near me as a baby giraffe. Um, you know, bless him. But it's hard to get down when you're that big. But, you know, there was a couple of chances like that that were butchered. But fundamentally, I think... We, we didn't deserve to win. And, and I think Quinn's played a really smart game and a really, really... They showed the way to beat us is to cause chaos, get in our faces, stress us out in front of a big crowd on TV and at home, big pressure because everyone's built up this game, fill the stadium, blah, blah, blah. And if we're really, really harsh, we just crumbled under the face of that pressure, both on the field and off it, I think. It's really interesting the way you've characterised that, because what what we've been applauding Sale for this year has been these newfound structures that we've been building to allow our players to thrive within. And you know, we've seen that with a Tom Roebuck, for example. We've seen it with Rob Dupree. We've seen it with uh, you know the Curries. And and it is interesting it because it feels like what happened on uh, on Sunday was those structures weren't out there 
perfect setup, right? You know, we were, Quins were in our face, they were disruptive, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, as a result, we don't have, and we've said this for a few years, we don't necessarily have the on-field, uh, you know, intelligence or game management skills in order to counter that. So the Dupriers and Manu Tuolangi and Rafi Quirk and everyone else look fantastic when, like you said, we're dominating the game line and we've got all the possession and, you, you know, we, we're getting quick ball from the base of the rook. It sounds like what happened on, on Sunday was we, we didn't have those things. The game was a lot more scattered. And actually you start to see some of the limitations of, of this team in that, you know, Tom Curry and Ben Curry are... I, by my uh, reckoning, very intelligent rugby players, but they are they a, a George Smith or a Richie McCall in, in that sort of position? You know, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, you, you know, we certainly know in the back line, uh, we've got a lot of very talented players now who have been thriving. But do we have a George Ford, who I think we missed a lot on on Sunday, uh, who can? change a game plan on the fly or, you know, spot the way a game is going and, and, and make those sort of almost like quarterback-esque, um, you know, uh, uh, changes. I don't think we do. And I think, again, that's probably uh, where, where you see the biggest difference between Rob Dupriya and, and a, a true top-of-the-game uh, uh, top fly half. Um, and, look, I, I don't know whether or not this is fair, but there's two instances, you know, right at the end of the game that I thought kind of summed things up for sale. Uh, with the game gone, we're already 16 points down. We, we, we've got a scrum on the Quinn's five-metre line. The ball comes out of the back uh, and Rafi Quirk passes it to Sam Hill uh, on the short side, uh, except there was three Harlequins defenders there and Sam Hill doesn't go anywhere. A couple of phases later, uh, we actually get the ball out wide to Joe Carpenter. He's He's got a two-on-one with Tom Roebuck on his outside. He makes the pass for Roebuck for the try and it's pulled back for being forward. Is it fair, Alex, then, to sort of use those two moments to say that's a bit of an encapsulation of, of kind of what went wrong for sale on uh, on Sunday? Because it really feels like things like decision-making or, or whatever was the same as it always was. We just didn't have the, the structure or the game management to counteract what Quinns were doing. Yeah, I think it is. And I think we... Because we I, we defended relatively well, Quinns got through us, but they got through us through playing really good rugby. Like Quinns's tries came from genuinely fantastic rugby. Quinns's other points came from penalties that I think were a mix of a mixed bag. But let's be fair that you know we scored what thirteen points in the end. It's not enough. It's not enough at home to win. Um, and Quinns scored two really good tries that would have cancelled that out, out anyway. And Smith kicked brilliantly. Um, so I think, but aside from that, aside from the fact that Quinn scored those good points, as I said, our defence was really good. What was lacking was our attack. And you're right, that does encapsulate it, that we, we spent the whole first half on the attack basically against Quinn's and we were pushing and pushing, but, and we were looking good, but it was that clinical edge that we've had all season that sort of went missing a bit because, Quinns didn't buckle under that pressure. When we attacked, they they carried on defending. They carried on putting numbers into the breakdown. They carried on stressing us out. And, you know, we we had a lot of where well, maybe we won a penalty kick to the corner, but for some reason we didn't get over the line. I think our mall really didn't have the dominance it's had all season, which really, really made a telling difference in that first half. I think we could have pulled a, a lot further ahead had we been able to maul over a couple of tries because the amount of five-metre line-outs we had was massive. So 
I think you're right. I think it's that. It genuinely just comes back to, it reminded me of early last season and the seasons before that, when I used to come on this podcast and say, we are 5% away from being a brilliant team. Mm. And we were back to that. You know, we were back to, we still played really good rugby. We looked really good. Carpenter was fantastic. Roebuck was still brilliant. You know, we've got Rob Dupree is still doing really good things, but it, it went back to, instead of, you know, there's a pass from Rod Prier over the top to Tommy Flaherty that goes into touch when it's, you know, just out of the reach of his hands. It's similar to that, what you talked about at the end of the game. It's that 5% off. It's the pass from Joe Carpenter that goes forward at the end. Um, it, it, it all adds up to, mm. you know, you are nearly, nearly there. And genuinely, I think the scoreline was reflective, but what you don't see in the scoreline is that we could have won this game had a few other things gone our way. Now, what I come back to is that if we'd played really well and scored a lot of points, it would have been closer than it needed to be because we were massively on the wrong side of the referee. But I think when you're looking at were we 16 points worse than Quinn's, yeah, we probably were. Should If we played to our, our capacity and, and what, the way we played our best this season, would we have won the game? I don't know because they just got so, so much from... Well, the referee gave them so much compared to what we seem to get that it felt that we might not still not have won the game. Yeah. But we des- I think we deserved to lose because we, we just weren't, we weren't good enough. We were panicked and that came out in those crucial moments that you're talking about where you're throwing a pass forward or a pass isn't going to hand when you've got the line at your mercy because... I don't know what it is. Is it pressure? Is it expectation? Who knows? But it, it wasn't there on Sunday. Well, I want to I circle back to that point that you just made um, around the kind of margin of victory and how that came about. Because obviously on the day, Quinn scored two tries, both of which were, were very well worked. And, and Marcus Smith um, was man of the match again, unsurprisingly. Uh, admittedly, he did score 24 of Quinn's 29 points on the day. So I think that one's fair enough. But two very well orchestrated tries. Uh, the, the second one in particular to to get uh, actually it might be the first I can't remember um, to, to basically uh, counter Tuolangi rushing out of the line with the inside ball back in is it's just really smart play calling from uh, from the, the Quinn's coaching staff and and to be honest was representative of the sort of things we've done really well at the start of the season so yeah you know you know Karen Smith uh, you know ran ran the show for for both of those tries um, but beyond that. The rest of Quinn's points just came in a, a sort of deluge in the second half of, of penalties. And I've got a, a kind of maybe controversial point to, to come back to in a, in a moment, Alex. But before that, I just want to kind of ask, you know, what, you know, in terms of the game getting away from us, it was just, you know, penalty, Smith kicks it, penalty, Smith kicks it. What, what was the biggest issue for Sale? Because it looks like for the first time this year, the scrum really got folded. Uh, the set piece was was not working. Um, and we were really struggling to get any traction around the field. It, it, you know, what was what was the kind of key issue for Sale that led to that second half uh, getting away from us? I think, yeah, I think it was just it was all around the forwards. But it, I think the the real key issue was the breakdown because the, the scrum didn't go well, and we gave away penalties at the scrum a lot. Um, some of them very odd. Uh, apparently, when we were five metres out and you know there's times when we went forward in the scrum and penalty went to Quinn's 
Um, there's times when we were five metres out from Quinn's line and apparently we were pulling down the scrum. Um, so that was strange. But I think it comes back to the breakdown because when we were defending, we were getting pink pinged for not rolling away. We were trying to win turnovers and we were getting pinged for not rolling away. Um, and when we were on the attack, Quinns were stressing us at the breakdown so much, very well, um, that the, t- the quality of ball coming out for Rafi and Rob Debrea was really poor because, you know, they were going backwards or they were getting pushed back or, you know, we had people going in on their own. Um, and that, I think it all comes back to that. They put, you know, three or four players into every breakdown. That causes us to have to put more players in the breakdown. And then there was one point in the, end of the first half where we just looked completely out of attacking ideas because we were throwing it to the wing and it was like Nick Shonnett and you and, you and Ashman on a wing on their own going, oh, right, okay, we better take this in, but with no one with them. And the amount of times people were going into contact and it was like there's no one with them because the team just looked knackered and like, where do I need to be? Where am I going? Where, you know, it wasn't like, you know, someone's running in and they've got three people behind them waiting to clear out the rook and then we're going again around the corner. It was sort of, there was a lot of passes coming out of the rooks, people standing still going, right, let's start running now. Tom Infatti had to do it a couple of times. Tom Curry had to do it a couple of times. And I think fundamentally that's where it all comes down to because they were able to put pressure on us attacking and defensive-wise at the breakdown. When they were defending and we were attacking, that was ruining our attacking structure and we couldn't get any momentum. And when it was the other way around, we were just getting pinged at every... Well, it obviously wasn't every breakdown, but it felt like every breakdown. Um for not rolling away, for, you know, just, it it was a very, very, um, very, very well done from Quinns, to be honest. It was really frustrating as self. I'm really, really frustrating, but that's just evidence of a good, a, I think it's a really smart coaching. Um, I don't know who in, in Quinns has come up with it, maybe Adam Jones or Tyler Matson or whoever, but it's really smart to attack us at the breakdown because we've had dominance there all season and we've run games because of it. And it was just, we weren't used to it. And it you saw, it honestly looked like it just completely threw our game plan out of the water. We, we just didn't know how to deal with it. So I think that's where it was. And I think the scrum and the line-out sort of feed into that. To me, their forwards were better than ours. And their backs are faster than ours anyway. So if you give their backs an attacking platform like that, they're going to beat us every day of the week. So that's that's where it comes down to. Obviously, we're we're on the kind of same page here, talking about it being the, the kind of forwards being the issue. And I, I did I want to put this question to you, uh, Alex, off the back of what happened last week and Aka van der Merwe uh, suffering what looks like it's going to be a long term injury. Um, are, are you at all worried about us having Bevan Rod, um, Ewan Ashman, and, and Nick Shonner as our starting front row? Um, and, and the reason why I ask that is you kind of look at where Quinns were getting ascendancy or, or where Sale were losing ascendancy on, on Sunday. And it was, you know, scrum penalties. Uh, you know, it's a relatively lightweight front row uh, at the moment. Obviously, Ashman and, and Rod are at the beginning of their careers and will presumably keep putting on uh, weight. Um, but also our set piece, you know, we, we struggled with the line We were, you know, it, it was a real sort of clunky going for, for, for the tight five. Um, and, you know, you kind of compare the drop-off in performance, admittedly against, you know, a different team. Um, 
on Sunday versus kind of where we were, you know, with Aka, who I think is established, he is the, the best hooker at the club at the moment. Do, do you think it's fair to be a little bit worried about, you know, what we have in terms of our front row as a, as the starting options at the moment, given what our ambitions are for this year, which is, you know, to, to, to push on and be a, a top four team? Yeah, I think I think we've got a top four front row. I do. Um and I think we've got enough strength and depth. I mean, Simon McIntyre's a really, really good second choice to Bevan Rod. Bevan Rod's been one of the players of every game he's played in recently. Um I, I you know, I, I there's an issue at the scrum, but it's more than one part. I think at Hooker again we've got a pretty when you look at it in the context of the salary cap, we've got a bit of an embarrassment of riches there, really. Um and I think Nick Shonner at Tighthead, I, I, I think Tighthead's the main worry, but that's the most difficult position to fill. Everyone's struggling for that. Quinn's had Wilco Low there. He's going at the end of this season. It was announced, I think, during the game. Um, so it's it's like, it, it's one of those that um, it, it feels like where, for where the salary cap is, I think we are in as good a position as we're going to be this season and probably for the next couple of seasons. But and I, and I do think fundamentally it's t- it's probably a top four pack, and I think it's top four front row. I mean, you look at what Bevan Rod can do, especially with Acker. I think it's top four front row. I think with you and Ashman, it'll be a top four front row in two years' time. I just don't think it's a Premiership winning front row, and at at this stage, and will it be in four or five years' time? It may well be, but in four or five years' time, we'll need a tight head. Um, we don't really have that at the moment. And that's that's where the issue is, that Nick Shonner is not going to be around in five years' time, probably, uh, if my guesstimations of his age are correct. Um, and James Harper probably isn't going to be ready in five years' time. And, and it's it's just such a hard position to fill anyway. Um, I think we are... It's, it's weird because we sort of nearly had a bit of dominance at the scrum this season and, and Quinns have shown us up of all teams. Um, but yeah, you know, we we played against Leicester and we looked absolutely fine in the scrum. We played against uh, Exeter and looked fine in the scrum. So I still, that's where I come back to the teams that are going to cause us stress at the scrum come down to the list of probably Sarries and clearly Quinns. Um, and if it comes to a Premiership final, then it's going to be a massive issue. But if it comes to can we get in the top four, I don't think that is a blocker. So that's where I am on it. What about you? I don't know, do you think it's more of an issue than that? I, I think it. I think it is. Um, and it was interesting to get get your view on it because I think from from the way that I'm looking at it, we are well. At least you guys are. Um, starting to move into the, the winter um, where we, we see the ground get a little bit softer um, and you don't get the opportunities you know, to play as, as free-flowing rugby as you would have liked and, and your, your pack and your scrum become so much more important. And from, from, from my perspective, the, the early returns on... Rod Ashman and Shona as our starting front row, I, I think haven't been great. You know, your scrum really, the scrum really struggled against Harlequins, and and this isn't like you said, it's it's not a it's not a Quinn team, Quinn's team that's known for having a monstrous pack. It'd be really interesting to see how we go, obviously against Saracens next week. But you do look at 
the options we have available to us. And I, I do wonder whether or not we end up seeing Simon McIntyre and Tommy Taylor actually start with Nick Schonner in certain games, especially when we get into the depths of winter, because we need that extra weight and ballast um, and, and the scrummaging power, which... At the moment, and, and again, like you know, Bevan Rod, I think, is 22. Ewan Ashman's 23, I think. Let me just check that one super quick. Um, you know, they are still relatively young for, for front rowers. Uh, Ashman's 22 as well. Um, and, and so that is going to change over the next couple of years. But with no Acker, who is, again, not a great scrummager himself, but, but is, is probably better than where Ashman is at the moment, uh, I, I think it's a cause for concern, and, and when we look at games like this, you know, six games into the season, one of the things one of the things we obviously try and do on this podcast is kind of look at the results and and, and say, you know, what what matters and what doesn't matter. You know, what can we pick out um, that's going to have an impact over the course of the season? And I think a lot of teams will be doing the same. They'll look at how Quinn's the first team this year to do it have have actually beaten us, and they'll look at well, actually, can we put all the pressure? on the set piece, you know, can we put three or four jumpers in, into the line now? Because we know uh, that the hookers maybe aren't as accurate as they'd like to be, et cetera. So I think it's just really interesting. That was one of the trends that that I'd sort of seen from that Quinns game. And you, you marry it up to, to us losing the game. And you do wonder, is that going to be an area that, that that team's target moving forward as we as we go into the depths of winter? Yeah, absolutely. And I think just on that, um, the lineup hasn't been great when we've not had Acker all season so it is if we can't get scrum ball and we can't get line out ball we're going to struggle in any game aren't we and I think it's an area that we just need to be really really hot on hopefully this is the kind of wake-up call that we need not wake-up call but you know hopefully this focuses the minds on right these are the areas people are going to target Mm. and you know you always pick what's what's been damaged the week before don't you so you know we've got we've got a Big chunk of the season to fix here. Acker's injury isn't apparently as bad as feared, um, and we're still got re- they're still really really good players who just had a, an off day. Let's mm. you know, let's be honest. So there's positives out of it, but I do think you're right. Quinn showed the way to stress us, and when you stress us, I, I honestly think we massively missed Ben Curry on the weekend for a bit of a calm head because there wasn't many calm heads on the field, especially in the forward pack. It was. It all felt a bit. Ah, how do we fix? How do we, you know? Oh no, we've got loads of people in the stadium. We need to fix it. And, Interesting. And, it, and all that as well. You know, Jean Luc Dupria starting at eight rather than Dan Dupria. Obviously, Dan is the out and out number eight. So again, you get a little bit more kind of stability from there. John Ross only second start of the season. I think it's that's a that's a really good point on on Ben Curry. Um, Sorry to cut you off, but I'm, I'm conscious we've been very negative so far. So, so just to kind of wrap things up on on the Quinns game, you know, what what were the positives, you know, out of the game for for you? Uh, Joe Carpenter, start and end of response, just absolutely brilliant. He's so so good. On, in every, to be honest, in every facet of the game, the confidence he's playing with is absolutely outstanding. For someone so young, his ability in the high ball is excellent. His pace is brilliant. His step is fantastic. He makes that well. I'll only try in the end. Um, I just think he looks a really, really talented player. So that is a massive, massive bit of encouragement for me for how well he's settled into Premiership rugby. Because I think when we signed him, he was really highly rated and hyped. He's had a bit of a tough time with injuries. 
he was doing it at Sale FC and looking really good. But it, the question was, is he ready to step up to the Premiership? Well, the answer is absolutely he is. Um, so that's the biggest positive. Um, in terms of other positives, I think we came out the game with no massive injuries, uh, which is always good. It's it's bad when you go into that as your second one, isn't it? Um, I still think Tom Roebuck looks fantastic and, and has a justly deserved England call-up, which we um, can touch on briefly later as well. Um, other than that, I am still I'm struggling for positives out of that Quinn's game other than Joe Carpenter, genuinely. Have you got any? Because I'd, I'd love some more. <laughs> Uh, to, to be honest, no, I don't. And, and apologies, I, I made a mistake a, a moment ago where I said John Luke started at eight. That was that was a couple of games ago. Uh, Dan Debrea did start at eight, and obviously we we still weren't able to get much um, sort of sensible decision making or, or whatever we want to call it. Um, so I think, yeah, the, to be honest, like you go down the list and actually you look at the team. You know, Tom Curry, Dan Debrea, uh, Johnny Hill, Cobus Visa. That's a pretty good, you know, lock lock and uh, and flanker number eight combo. Um, and and yeah, you, there's nothing really kind of obvious that sticks out to be to be like um, you know this was an area where we didn't have the right players and someone stepped up or, or vice versa. So yeah, it, it makes for you know for tough tough listening and, and tough watching because I thought thought Rafi Quirk had a, a bit of a, a poor game as well. Um, and and again, a very interesting decision not to bring Gus War on uh, at all, as far as I'm aware. Um, I, I really would have liked, especially given how well he's played earlier in the season, you know, to for, for Gus Wall to have had 30 minutes off the bench uh, in a game where things aren't necessarily going uh, sales way and, and see if a change of pace at you know, scrum half position would have done something uh, different. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rafi looked, he almost looked a bit rattled at the end. He gave away a penalty where he sort of hit a, someone after they kicked him up and under. Um, and then in the resulting play after when it, it ended up dying off because they got the penalty given, he like you know he kicked it over the top to no one basically. Um, so it was, he, I think it was a really frustrating day for it was a frustrating day for everyone, but it's frustrating day for him as well. Um, the only other positive I've thought of is that we cannot be refereed that badly again this season. It's genuinely impossible. Do you, um, do you, should we touch on this very briefly then? Because because obviously, like I said, I've been watching the game in fits and spurts. You were in the stadium. Um, I, I saw obviously your tweet as well. Um, you know what? Where, where's this kind of angst? You know, kind of come from? Apart from the fact that I know you're not a big fan of Christoph Ridley at the best of times. I genuinely didn't. I, it's not. I didn't go in with any pre- preconceived ideas. I thought, you know, genuinely, Christoph Ridley, as as a rule, when he's refereed, has been. Especially when you're in the stadium, he seems fine. You know, he's he's got some slightly weird interpretation. Not weird, but, you know, he's got his own interpretations, but he's generally pretty consistent with them. And it feels like you're getting a fair referee. This weekend, what on earth happened, I don't know. But there was multiple times where our players, you know, tackled someone were at the side of the rook. Yeah. Tom Curry's going in over the ball and they're getting pinged for not rolling away. Now, that isn't a penalty. That's a really easy penalty to give as a referee because you go, well, you haven't rolled away. But if you're not stopping anyone clearing out, that's not a penalty. There's the Joe Carpenter one where he jumps up in the air to take a ball, gets taken out by Nick David, and somehow... So I, they, he didn't give a penalty. He just said, no, it's just a collision in the air. Went, right, fine. Um, you know... 
we, I, I honestly looked at it and said, no, I get it. It's collision in the air. That's fine. Um, I can see why you would think it's penalty because he's gone up and he's the one that's been taken out. But if they're both going for the ball and they're both trying for it and they come down, that's fine. That would have been fine with me. In his initial call, I thought, yeah. He then gives penalty to Quinns. Explain that. I don't. I, I genuinely can't understand that one. There's one where the Quinns player deliberately knocks it on, and he gives an. He, first of all, he says it goes backwards, right, and then he gives an, uh, just a knock on before he eventually has to get talked into a penalty. That that little sequence was proof of what I thought that he genuinely just got calls wrong. That is a bad bad call. Uh, and then I didn't even realise, but you look back at Quinn's try and it's the most forward pass in the world from Danny Kerr. So I think the overall game, it just felt like, you know, he gave penalties against us that were justified, but there were some calls that in the stadium, and this is why I tweeted, because it's so easy sat in the stadium to get more and more frustrated by a poor sale performance and think, well, this this is a shit referee performance. And at no point did I think I'm equating that with the reason we've lost. And it's not the reason we've lost. We were, we were bad. But it's just when you're in the stadium, you can get really carried away and think this is dreadful. So that's why I tweeted because it just felt mm-hmm. awful in the stadium. It felt really, really bad. And to be honest, we got four types of responses. I'm a neutral and yes, it, he's been absolutely dreadful. I'm a neutral and no, he's been fine. I'm a sale fan, and yes, he's been absolutely dreadful. I'm a sale fan, and no, he's been fine. Which just sort of proves that mm. probably it was not a bad. It wasn't as bad as it felt like it was, and it, well, it almost certainly wasn't as bad as it felt like it was. But I think that sequence with the deliberate knock-on is everything that was wrong with the referee in performance because fundamentally he got the call wrong. He then got the call wrong again, and then eventually he got to the right one. But for a lot of the time. He was just making the call that, in a lot of ways, went with Quinns because they had the momentum, and it didn't change. Mm. And I think the other thing that was frustrating was that Joe Marler and Danny Kerr played him like a fiddle. And you look at that, always in his ear, they're always talking to him. And if, if something happened and Quinns shouted about it, he'd give the decision. Mm. If something happened... And I think we were just too, it felt like, and people will be able to correct me because I haven't watched this back on TV, but it felt like we were respectful. We were almost too respectful and we were just like, right, we're not getting involved with the ref, leave him to it. And as a result, it was just free reign for Karen Marler to Mm. manipulate him into the decisions they wanted. And as I say, I'm not saying this is the reason we lost, but... I think it was an absolutely dreadful refereeing performance. And I think... I can't understand why you would go into the review afterwards and say, "No, I think I think you were fair. I think you know you were you made all all the right calls because I think there were some absolute howlers in there, um, and there always are. Listen, referees are human; we shouldn't have a go at them. There's not enough referees in the game, um, but it, it was just it was born of frustration. That tweet especially yeah. was born of frustration. And am I going mad here? <laughs> Which I think probably I wasn't, but you, you tell me because you've watched it with uh, less emotion. Well, I, th- I think it's a really good point actually about Marler and Care. I'll touch upon this very briefly. To go back to what we were saying before about kind of game management and adapting to the flow of the game. And 
again, you know, we, we've been, we've done this podcast for like five years now, and we've said consistently, you know, John O'Ross, you know, a great sort of leader of men type captain, isn't able to, you know, manipulate a game like a like a Sam Warburton could, you know, for example. And again, it was just interesting. No Ben Curry, who's obviously taken on the mantle of kind of club captain this year. Um, you know, you actually, you you know, you kind of go down the list um, in our back line. There's not a lot of senior players in there. Uh, you know, Rafi Quirk, um, uh, Tom Tom Roebuck, you know, you, you want to make, uh, who obviously starting, uh, Joe Carpenter, Tom O'Flaxy's just come to the club. We are kind of missing a, probably a George Ford type or, or you know, the, the best example is like kind of like an Owen Farrell type. You know, someone who can kind of help, man, you know, you have someone to manage the forwards, someone to manage the backs. We do seem to struggle with that a little bit, um, especially, you know, it, it seems without having a, a Ben Curry figure in the in the squad. Um, and, and, you know, actually, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned the um, not rolling away calls because there's a very blatant one that I saw where Manu Tuolangi gets pinged. He, he goes in, he makes the tackle. I can't remember who it's on. Uh, he then he then does roll away. You know, he, he rolls away and he's actually at, if, if you imagine he's just made the tackle, I'll, I'll do this with my hands for Alex's benefit, but, you know, he's, he's, he's hit the man, he's made the tackle and you see him, like, you see him rotate and roll away at a 90 degree angle. So he's now, um, <clears throat> if you imagine, you know, the rook has formed, you know, Tuolangi's head is on the Harlequin side and his feet are on the cell side. He's done everything he can to roll away and he still gets pinged. And <clears throat> look, like I said, referees are human. They're going to make those calls. That was just definitely a completely wrong call, but they happened. But it doesn't kind of feel like we adapt to a referee's interpretation of the breakdown. This is stuff we were saying a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like we we adapt quickly, uh, quick enough. You know, to how referees are, are interpreting the breakdown, and we don't necessarily have the the on field leaders to kind of manage the referee in a way that maybe Quinns did. I, th- I think you know, on the whole, you, you could probably argue that he got most of the calls right, as as most referees tend to do. But I certainly understand why people feel frustrated because it, it really felt like. The referee was managing game in a certain way, and Sal didn't adapt to that. And it's very frustrating to watch as a Sal fan when you when you see us fail to adapt. Yeah, that is the thing. It's that you know when it happens once or twice. I th- I think yeah, the frustration is that we've looked for the rest of the season. We've been doing that, and and five referees have not pinged us for that, and we've just come up against one that doesn't. And that's what happens, um, and it, it gets made worse when you're at home and you've got a crowd who are, you know, get frustrated by it. Um, some of the crowd, you know, there's one where Danny Kerr just like knees it in behind the goal line, and everyone's going nuts, um, which I think was fine. So there's a lot of calls in there that he made that I didn't disagree with. I just think there is there are a couple that when the rest of the game is going against you, you then go in, come on, mate, like, that one's blatant. We're having a... And that, that is where... I think that's where it comes from, because I think I sit there and go, right, we're getting battered, we're giving away penalties, and we're giving away genuine penalties. Um, and, oh, that's a really good bit of play by us. Tom Curry's won a legit turnover when Manu's done a big tackle and got out of the way. And it's just... When those fifty, when the rest of the game is going against you, it feels like those fifty fifties that aren't really fifty fifties that should be your penalty when they go against you as well. 
I think that's where the frustration gets borne out. And it just felt like that happened on every occasion. But I'd really love to have the carpenter one in the air explained to me. I'd love to have the... I'd love to know the conversation for the Quinn's forward pass for the try, which there wasn't. Um, and I'd love to know the com- the sort of review process for that Tom Curry turnover because I just think you look at them and it's three shit calls that <laughs> fundamentally didn't change the outcome of the game, but they contributed hard. to... I mean, listen, if he pulls up Danny Kerr for the forward pass, if he doesn't give the penalty for the Joe Carpenter and the Tom Curry one, we'd probably get a losing bonus point. It's not beyond and all. Honestly, we didn't deserve to win the game and we didn't deserve a losing bonus point. But it's, it just is so frustrating being sat there. And it, I just felt like the game was managed by Quinns and the, the decisions were given as they wanted. Um, and it doesn't help that it's Quinns. I could have dealt with it if it was any other team in the league, but it's just RFU. Listen, there won't be professional rugby in the Northwest in 10 years' time if it continues like this. I'm telling you now, because it's refereed for the benefit of Southern teams who want to win the competition. Okay, well, we're going to move on from (laughs) from, from, uh, the conspiracy theories now. It is very funny, actually, because we've ended up back where we started, which is it, it, it sucks to lose, but especially to a team that's as dislikable as Quinns, we've ended up with the uh, Quinns get all the favour from the RFU because uh, they're the, the me- and they're the media darlings, etc. Well, the good news is uh, it doesn't actually get any easier for sale uh, in, in what's going to be a, a, to be honest, a box office uh, uh, matchup uh, this coming Sunday. It's first versus second, um, as Sale travelled down uh, to uh, to it's a Stone X Stadium now, isn't it? Uh, to play uh, Saracens. Uh, Saracens are top of the table. They've won six from six, uh, with picking up five bonus points in the uh, in the uh, in due course. Um, and good lord, they look a scary proposition again this year. You know after. Coming straight back up and actually, you know, being a, a genuine title contender immediately uh, last season, they've gone from strength to strength this year. Um, and to be honest, even if Sale had beaten Harlequins to continue their six out of six run, it really feels like Saracens are head and shoulders above just about everyone else at the moment, Sale included. Um the the sort of good run for Saracens actually continued uh, last Saturday with arguably their most impressive victory so far, beating Exeter at Sandy Park, 22 points to, to 20. Um, and look, I'm, I've just been on a little look at the team sheet from, from that game, and there's plenty of intrigue for, for Sale fans in there, uh, as you'd expect. But honestly, the reason why I am talking so passionately about how good of a job Saracens have done is because you look at the team that they put out on, on Saturday uh, and once again, for what must feel like the 10th or 15th year running, they've got this fantastic ensemble of international superstars, Maro Atoji, Mako and B- Billy Bunapola, Owen Farrell, etc. And they've somehow managed to, to find players from all around the world uh, and the lower depths of uh, English rugby and turn them into world beaters as well. So just to pick out a couple of the players who've really been impressive for Saracens this year, Ivan Van Ziel, the South African scrum half, and, and Ruben de Haas has been their, 
their sort of one-two combo at scrum half, you know, ne- neither of whom were, were particularly household names. Theo McFarland, the um, sort of second row slash flanker who's, uh, who, who turns out for Samoa, uh, currently looks like a world beater and uh, was, uh, was Premiership Player of the Month, I believe, uh, earlier on in the, the, the season. Hugh Tizard has joined from uh, from from Harlequins, uh, th- those you know despicable Harlequins we were just talking about, uh, and has uh, slotted seamlessly into the second row alongside Maratoji. He started at five uh, on Saturday, um, and then you know just just throwing out some some names here. Alex, uh, have you ever heard of Capelli uh, Pifoletti? He's a, a, a hooker for the USA national team. I hadn't until about three seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he started at number two for them on on Saturday and did a did a hell of a good job. Um, and look, honestly, th- this is why the, the the Saracens team has been so impressive so far this year. They they basically picked up from where they were three or four years ago when they were winning European doubles. Um, and as I mentioned before, they look different gravy at the top of the league so far. So it's going to be a fantastic clash um, on on Sunday uh, against the two pace setters, even if off the back of Sale's loss on on, uh, on Sunday, uh, and actually just how dominant Saracens have been, it does kind of feel like it's not necessarily a 1A, 1B situation, it's a very clear first versus second, or at least best versus the rest. Um, so Alex, look, we, we know what Saracens are about, it doesn't seem to matter whether Alex Sanderson is on their coaching staff, or whether or not they're playing players from the USA national team or whatever, there's the Saracens way and it works so efficiently. They've been so clinical and so impressive so far this year. I guess my question to you is, as a Sale fan, you know, we, we've not won at the Stonex Stadium. Uh, I don't, well, I actually don't have the numbers to hand, but for a very long time, Saracens uh, by far are the team that Sale have the worst record uh, against, particularly away from home. So I guess the thing for, from your perspective, especially off the back of a pretty deflating performance against Quinns, how does Sale rebound against the Saracens team that looks so bloody good at the moment? Yeah, it's going to be really, really tough. I mean, we've been having a bit of a lifeline in that England style is going to be with England. And um, unfortunately for everyone involved, Owen Farrell appears to have concussions, so he's out of the... Uh, the England reckoning and obviously Saracens reckoning, which is a real shame because you want to play against the best players, full stop. And I think Aaron Farrell is probably one of the best players English rugby has had in a long, long time. Um, I think how how on earth is up? And we just have to go back to what made us good, which is at the start of the season, which is compete up front and just be calm and be sensible. And Saris are going to try and rile you. Quinn's rile you by being annoying, cheeky little scamps. Sarri's rile you by getting in your face, celebrating every penalty, um, and just being very, very good. You know, so when they score a good try, you get really pissed off with them, and, you, and they all come in and cheer over your face, and you judo throw one of them off the pitch and get a red card. <laughs> um, and it's about that. Men- it's a massive test of mentality, I think, because um, it'll be a feisty game it's you know there's a lot of South African players in both sides who know each other pretty well and will want to have a go at each other there's a lot of you know England teammates in both sides that um would have wanted to have a go at each other so we probably spared that um but you know there's there's they we're doing a bit of a 
uh, Sarri's five years later or ten years later, aren't we, without cheating? Um, so I don't know. I think we we have to go back to yeah that simplicity that we seem to do so well. But that that simplicity isn't easy to do. It's it's sort of the hardest thing to do in rugby, isn't it? It's about calmness under pressure, and it's if stuff's going against you, it's about regrouping and having you know two minutes off. Someone going down, taking a bit of an injury, and just everyone clearing their heads. Um, which you know, uh, I've just accused Harry's of cheating, and now I'm saying like, right, okay, wind the clock down, slow it down, sensible play. So I'm sure someone will pull me up on that. But yeah, there's levels to this game. Um, so I think it's a massive test. We, I, I, I honestly don't know if we've ever won at that Harry Stadium since they've moved there. Um, so I think. And let's not get our expectations up, but it's almost the best thing for us. You know, expectations were really high on Sunday. Pressure was really high as a result. We are underdogs at the end of the day, and I think us being underdogs this time is probably only going to help because, you know, you think last time we went to Saris, we actually played pretty well. I know we lost, but we didn't do ourselves a massive disservice, and we weren't that far off being in con- in con- tension for the game really so we are good enough to beat them on our day on our day it's always the usual but we are good enough to beat them they are incredible so we're gonna have to be really good um to even be in with a conversation of getting a losing bonus point let alone getting a result of any sort but i think there's there's hope there on the basis of listen everyone will be talking about saris it's almost taken the build-up and the pressure off the game because imagine it, going into it, it would have been a, oh, yeah, there's a massive game at the top of the table. You know, this is real test of sales title credentials, blah, blah, blah. It's not really anymore, is it? And I bet the media will go quiet on it because it's not the matchup that it could have been. So hopefully that plays into our hands. Um, but I think getting that structure back into the game, getting that clarity of thought and, and just taking out all of that noise around being forced into playing sort of exciting attacking rugby all in quotation marks um you know we don't we don't need to force ourselves into playing that we play exciting attacking rugby when we build really good structure and get people into space once we get people into space then we can start you know throwing the pass or whatever but too many times on sunday we tried to throw an offload that wasn't on and that's because you're getting forced into trying to make a a, a change to the game Play the territory, play it simple, knock over points. If they get 10 points ahead, don't worry about it. Just take penalties, try and get back into it. That's how I think we have to play it. You know, it's easy. To sit, it's really easy to sit here in my front room and talk about it, isn't it? When you've got Mario Tojo and Theo McFarlane bearing down on you, it becomes a bit more difficult. So, listen, it's that's the point. My expectations are low. I think everyone's expectations will be low. Let's feed off that. and. If you can cause an upset, then brilliant. If you don't win, no one's going to have a go at you. But we are underdogs going into this, so I think we sort of have to build on that and just take it back to where we were at the start of the season. And and off the back of that, and given where we are with the squad and injuries and, and whatnot at the moment, I, I, I assume you're with me in that it's basically the same team goes again this week with with maybe John Ross switched out for for Ben Curry if he's available. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I still think there's a question mark at nine. Uh, when I was talking to James last week, 
he sort of said, you've got to give Rafi a chance to start to get in that England conversation. Um, but I, I think Gus Ward needs at least some game time, whether that's starting or off the bench. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think we've, I suppose Manu probably won't play because of his knee and the artificial pitch, which I think is the right decision anyway. Um, well, Manu will be with England, actually. Sorry, I keep forgetting that all the England players won't be playing. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to lose Tom Curry and Manu and Johnny Hill, aren't we? Um, so we're going to get forced into changes, but I agree where we are with injuries and, and therefore with international selection, it's minimal changes as possible, I think. And um, hopefully it's the, the the bones of that team are still there, which I think they are. We can get Jean-Luc into the second row with, with Cabus probably. Um, Josh Beaumont had a bit of game time off the bench on the weekend, so that's good that we've got his that option. Obviously, Tom Roebuck's been called up, so Reedy will come onto the wing, I presume. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a few changes going to be forced, and as a result, I think I'm with you that it's as minimal changes as as possible. So it's basically go with the same team unless someone is going to be in Jersey with England, and therefore you can't pick them. I think that's that's a very fair point. So uh, you know, top of the table clash still. Um, you know, Sale. Up until last week in fantastic form against a, a Saracens team in, in just sort of dominant form. What's your score prediction? Yeah, you've just reminded me. We are still second. No, sorry, this has been... I feel like I, I must... If you've got to this, listeners, and you've put up with me being a right windy bastard over the last 50 minutes or whatever it's been, well done. I have, We're still in a really good position. We're still second in the league. We've had a really good start to the season. Let's, you know, we're, we're dissecting, but... You know, we've been positive all season, so there's been a lot of moaning saved up. Um, but yeah, we are second. It is a brilliant place to be. We're going to Saris. We're a bit underdogs. I honestly think we could do it. I don't think we will. I think Saris will, will sneak it. But I'd say Saris 23, sailed 21. I think we're going to get close and I think we're going to give a good showing. I've got faith in us to bounce back. Um, the alternative is we capitulate, but I don't think that'll happen. I honestly think we there's there's character in this team and I expect to see a reaction and let's not forget Quinns were coming off the back of a loss against Leicester where they got humbled at home that's where their reaction comes from let's just pass that chain down and let's have our reaction now so um, yeah I mean I still think it's a massive task because this is an incredible Saris team but I'll go with 23-21 Saris and a really good showing from Sale and hopefully some optimism going back into next week I, I, I'm in a similar position. I think it's going to be Saracens 37, uh, Sale 27. You know, I think there's actually going to be quite a lot of tries in this game. I think both teams have, have shown so far this year they can they can certainly score points. And I think it's going to be close, but but no cigar for Sale. I think Saracens are, are obviously just too good at the moment. Um, bonus prediction, because I only learned this about 20 minutes ago. Uh, as Sale old boy James Flynn now pe- plays for Saracens, apparently, I'm going to predict that he gets uh, on the score sheet as well with, uh, you know, uh, an, an in-close try in like the 65th minute or something like that. But, you know, fair play to Flynnie, you know, drop down to the championship, but just a great example of what Saracens do so well. You know, obviously kind of cut by Sale, drops down to the championship and is all of a sudden playing important minutes for, for Saracens off the bench. Just a, a, you know, great, great comeback for him. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, we're both predicting the Saracens win, but obviously it's going to be an absolute uh, cracker. Um, that'll do it for the pod this week, and we'll obviously be talking about that Saracens game next week. But just to kind of wrap things up, because you mentioned it, Alex, and I must admit it had actually passed me by. 
Um, quick thoughts on Tom Roebuck getting called up to the England squad for the first time. Yeah, absolutely massive congratulations to Tom. And it's all these performances so far this season, fully deserved. Um, I think there's a lot of people saying there's so much wing talent in England. You've got like Ollie Hassel Collins at Irish, he's been brilliant for the last two or three seasons. But I think what Tom's shown is really, really suited to the way England play. It's that power and pace. He's got the ability into the high ball. And he honestly has been fantastic so far this season. He's got that physicality. If you've got a back three of Stewart, Roebuck and one other, whoever that might be on the wing for England at the moment, that is serious physicality with, with Stewart and Roebuck. Um, so, yeah, just huge congratulations. I think it's fully deserved and... and you know, I don't think don't know whether he'll get minutes, um, but if he does, I'm pretty confident he'll take the chance because he's been playing so well. So um, hopefully, we do see him in an England shirt at some point. Hopefully, it's not just another Eddie Jones where he picks him, puts him one cap on him, and then says, "Oh, you've got a million things to work on, mate. Come back in five years' time." Um, but either way, I think. It's a massive coup for the academy again. Um, you talk about Finney there going to Saracens, but you look at how well our academy players are doing in wherever they might be, whether that's at Sale or elsewhere, to have another academy player come through and, and get into England squad is huge. So, um, yeah, massive congratulations to Tom. And hopefully we uh, see him score tries for England because I think, if, if, if Christ, if people in England realise how good he is, then it'll be, you know, Everyone will be after him, so uh, it's almost dangerous. But you have to you have to take that exposure, don't you? When you uh, you know players are earning their place, and, and I do think he's massively earned that place in the squad. Absolutely. Well, we'll be interested to see how how Tom and the rest of the Sail Boys go with England over the next couple of weeks with the Autumn Internationals. But obviously, our focus is domestic matters. So we'll be back with another episode of the pod next week after the game against Saracens. Um, and thank you. First of all, to, to Alex for joining me and having plenty to say about the Quinns game and, and referee decisions and RFU conspiracies. And thank you to all the listeners uh, for chiming in to listen to, to those thoughts. Uh, we really appreciate the support and hopefully uh, we'll be back with a slightly more upbeat podcast next week after that Saturday's game. <laughs>